Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. The right question can change everything. It can turn a friend into a lover, a problem into a solution, confusion into understanding. It finds your answer. Warren Berger, journalist and author of the book A More Beautiful Question, has been studying questioning techniques for decades, and most recently, how questioning was used to spark innovation at companies like Google, Netflix, IDEO, and Airbnb. In this episode, we chat about the principles of powerful questions and share some examples that can transform your life. And we end the episode, Warren and I, by asking each other questions to intentionally try to make each other uncomfortable. So that was fun. (laughs) So without further ado, Warren Berger on the Positivity Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. Um, I hope you came to this episode with some questions, maybe about yourself, maybe about your work, maybe about the people in your life and your relationships, because this is an episode where we're going to really dig deep into the skill of asking questions and the beauty of looking at the world with a curious eye. And I'm here with the amazing Warren Berger, who has a terrific book, titled Beautiful Questions, and we're going to really hop into the skill of breaking questions down and making some magic happen. So, Warren, thank you so much for joining. I've, I've really been looking forward to this. Oh, thanks. Um, it's, it's great to be here. So, I'm wondering if you'd be interested to start off this episode by playing the question game. Do you know the question game? Uh, well, a little bit. Yeah, I think so. So it's when you ask a question to someone and they have to respond by asking a question back and then the other person responds with a question and it kind of goes back and forth. So um, do you want to ask the first question or should I ask the first question? Uh, You go ahead and ask the first question. Okay. What, uh, let me think. What questions should I be asking to really make the most of this interview? Okay. Um, what is it that you're most interested in finding out? What does it take to become a good question asker or interviewer? Um, why do you want to know uh, what it takes to become a good question asker? I'm curious, uh, to hear your perspective on what it really takes to have people open up and share their souls with you. And do you have any insights on how to do that? Uh, yes, I, I have a lot of insights. Should I start to share them with you now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. I think, I think, I think maybe the questions got so good that now the answers are kind of overshadowing them. <laughs> they led us right into the meat of the interview. Let, let's let's go into it. So what questions? Why? 
why why this book yes yeah and why questioning why such an interest in questioning yeah um yeah well you know it um first of all I, i've been a journalist for a long time like 25 years and so questions when you're a journalist questions are kind of your your stock and trade you know they're your main tool that you use and um so so questioning was always kind of natural to me i didn't think about it that much i always worked really hard on my questions before every interview or whenever i was starting a an article i used to write for wired and magazines like that and um so I would work really hard on my questions. I, I really believed in the importance of questioning, but I didn't really think about it that much until uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And I was um, interviewing a lot of innovators, a lot of tech innovators, um, but also other, other types of innovators who designers, um, entrepreneurs who started great companies, you know, uh, innovators who developed new products. And one of the things I noticed was that a lot of what helped them to innovate was that they were questioners and they would they would they had a natural tendency to ask questions about things that other people took for granted and you know this was like a big um epiphany for me about the power of questions because i always thought of questions you know the way you think of them in interviews okay like a question helps you get some a little bit of information that you need. And so it's, it's this kind of, you know, useful tool, but it does this, this very sort of um, unexciting thing, which is just extract some information, you know, but once I started to think about questioning the way innovators use it, it was like totally different. And, and, and it changed my, the way I thought about the power of questions. It suddenly seemed to me that questioning and not just the questions you ask other people, but the questions you ask yourself um, have the power to change everything. They have the power to change the way you see the world. They have the power to, you know, bring uh, uh, new ideas into the world and they just can change the world. What's so that's what got me. That's what got me uh, totally into the, into the subject and the book. So when you started digging into it, what's the distinction between the questions that are mostly looking for information and the questions that are really changing the way people look at things? I think the, there's a few things that, that distinguish them. Um, the questions that usually lead to change, one of the differences, they're usually open, open-ended questions. So, uh, and, and just, you know, to, to be clear, some people probably know and some may not, that you know, a, a closed-ended question is where is where there's like a, a clear answer, or you, often a yes or no answer. You know, what time does the movie start? You know, that's a closed-ended question. Um, and a lot of times we're going through our lives asking closed-ended questions. You know, what's the best route to take to work, or what should I have for breakfast? And you know, where there's a kind of a simple, a factual answer to that question. Um, open-ended questions. Uh, like why, why does something exist? Or, or what if we tried this? Or how can we solve this problem? Those kinds of big, ambitious, open-ended questions don't have a simple, uh, immediate answer. So I found that those are the kind of questions that tend to lead to innovation. Uh, people who are willing to ask those kinds of really ambitious questions where there is no 
you can't Google it. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to get you're not going to get an answer if you try to Google a beautiful question because the answer probably doesn't exist yet. So the really great questions are those kind of questions where you not only have to, you know, formulate the question, but you then have to go on a journey to try to answer it. I'd love to hear some stories of some of these questions that you asked in your interviews um, and or in your research and what sort of impact it had on the people who were being asked. Yeah, well, when I was doing research, I would usually ask people, I mean, the, 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 the main question I was often asking people is, you know, how do you use questioning, you know, um, and, and what is questioning, what is your um, kind of method of using questioning, which was really um, interesting thing to ask people, because a lot of times people, even people who are great questioners, they haven't really thought about it. Like they haven't necessarily thought about how they ask questions and what kinds of questions they usually ask and what order they ask them in. So for a lot of them, it was uh, me asking them that to really think about their own questioning process. It kind of was a, you know, a surprise for them and they had to think about it. You know, they had to think about it, but definitely as I would do this and talk to different people, um, I, I saw patterns emerging, you know, in, in the way that, the, that innovative people uh, asked questions, the way they formulated questions, and the way they worked on their questions. It was, it was really interesting. And that, that became one of the uh, main, um, I would say, theories or, or ideas that, that emerged from the book, which is that um, there are different types of questions that help you at different stages of innovation or problem solving. And um, a lot of times a problem solver or an innovator will start with why questions. They're asking why a lot at the beginning when they're tackling, tackling a problem um, because they're trying to figure out, you know, why does this problem exist? Um, why is it that no one has come up with this app or this product or this whatever that people need in this situation? Why is there, why is there a lack uh, of this thing that people need? Um, why hasn't anyone solved this problem before? It seems like someone should have already done this. Why haven't they? What, what are the issues? Um, why would I want to take on this problem? Why would it be good for me, you know, given my strengths or my interests? So I found that a lot of, um, a lot of those kinds of why questions were being asked at the beginning of the innovation process by, by, by these type of really creative problem solvers. And then they would move to, once they started to understand the problem, okay, now I understand why the problem exists. I understand why it's been hard to solve in the past and all that. Um, then they would move to more imaginative, uh, speculative type questions. Okay, what if, could, I think I, of those as, what I ask if, a question if, real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, did you have a sense of, you know, it was funny, I, I asked one of, one of our audience members, do questions really lead to answers or just do they just lead to more questions? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, know? exactly. And yeah. I'm, I'm curious as for these people who, you know, are asking, why doesn't this exist? Why, why, uh, why should it be me? Why can things change? 
you know, as they're going about to find their answers, is there really ever a time that they're satisfied? And is there a turning point where they think, okay, I have satisfactory answers? And do you get a sense of when that moment happens and they can move on to a second level of questioning? Yeah, I, I think um, at that first level, what usually you start to get some insights about the problem that maybe you didn't have before. And that's usually when you're ready to move on, you know, like, and, and how you get those insights is always different for different people. You know, some people may get the insights right away, just, just by starting to mull those questions over in their head, you know, why, why does this problem exist? Or, or, you know, um, why hasn't someone done something about this issue? Uh, People lack water in this area. And why hasn't someone done something about that? And a lot of times, you know, depending on the, how complex the problem is or a lot of other factors, you may suddenly, you may get some insights like immediately just by thinking about it. But you may also have to do some research and you may have to even, you know, immerse yourself in the problem. You may have to go live, you know, with the problem, wherever it is, you know, and and, and really see what's going on and what is at the root of the problem and, and you know, go through the history of the problem and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so it, it can take all different amounts of time for you to get those insights. But I think once you get some insights that kind of open your eyes a little bit, that's when you know you're ready to move on to the next stage, because now you sort of understand something that you didn't understand before. You, you sort of say, okay, now I get it. I, I, I see, I have an understanding of the nature of this problem that I didn't have before. And, and that's when I think you're ready to, you know, start thinking about solutions, thinking about possible solutions. And that's when you really sort of bring your imagination into play, you know, and that to me, that's the, that's the what if stage, because what if questions are very different from why, why questions, right? This is the why second stage you yeah, saw well, people going towards. Exactly. So why questions are doing a very specific thing. They're helping you understand why, you know, what if questions, a whole different thing. Like now you're like saying, okay, I'm going to, I understand the reality that exists out there now. Now I'm going to try to create a new reality that doesn't exist. And and sometimes you're just doing that with your imagination. You know, what if, what if I took, uh, combined this thing with that thing? Or what if I took the way that people have been approaching this problem for years and I turned it all upside down and did it backwards? Um, So when you're in that what if stage, you're really considering all kinds of like really out there possibilities. And that's what I think innovators are really good at. You know, um, the, the classic story I, I uh, often tell is about the Polaroid instant camera, which started with a why question of, you know, why do people have to wait uh, for their, for their, to see their photos? You know, in the old days, people would take a photo, snap a photo with their camera, and then they had to send it out and be developed and took days and days. And the founder of Polaroid was wondering, actually, it was because his young daughter was was asking him, you know, why do we have to wait for the picture? And so that was his why. And then his what if question, you know, he started to think about all, all the reasons why this situation exists. You have to send, why do you have to send film out? Well, because it has to be developed in a dark room and all that. So his big what if question was, okay, I understand the problem, but what if you could have a dark room inside the camera. What if there was some way to do that? You know, take everything that happens in a dark room and have it happen inside the camera. 
So that was his big imaginative, you know, and that's, if you think about it, that's a pretty uh, awesome question because like people would, it takes a lot of imagination to think about a question like that, right? Especially at that time, this is the 1940s, to think of something as bold as that. So, but that was his what if question and that's what he went to work on. And now the, I found that there's also a third stage that builds on this is, you know, you, you may come up with a really great what if um, hypothetical question. Gee, what if I could do this? But to really change the world, you have to figure out how to do it, how to like take that hypothetical out there what if question and make it something real. And that to me, that's when you enter this more practical um, stage of questioning, which I think of as the how questions, you know, how are we going to do it? How are we going to take the first step? How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to, you know, all those practical issues that you have to deal with when you actually create something, when you innovate. So I found a lot of um, innovations, you know, obviously not all, but a lot of innovations will cycle through some variation of that, of that uh, sequence. And, uh, and therefore, for people who are trying to solve problems or trying to innovate, it's really good to keep those three kinds of questions in mind as you're working on a problem. You know, you might want to think about trying to cycle through a problem in terms of thinking about the why, thinking about the what if, and trying to work your way to the how. How? So let's say that people are really good at implementing this within their own work um, or their own organizations and problem solving external problems. How does it relate to internal problems or is it the same process <laughs> in terms of you know my own productivity and uh, my relationships with people I guess a more specific question is how does all this relate to introspection where the depth in which you can ask the questions might be more unclear and the process by which to understand yourself can be a lot more ambiguous how do you think about that in terms of Question I think it can work. I think it can work very well for those types of you know introspective problems. Um, I think you know again, no matter almost no matter what kind of problem you're working on, it could be like you know I'm having a problem getting along with um, my uh, my coworker or my boss or whatever, or um, I'm not quite happy where I'm living right now. You know, in my life, you know where. where the city I'm in or the location I'm in. And I think, you know, those kinds of problems, you can cycle through the same kind of questioning and get really good insights. You know, you may not get the answer overnight, but it's a way to sort of say, you know, you, again, you start with why, you know. I mean, a lot of times we don't do that. We don't ask the, those very fundamental why questions. You know, we know we're having a problem with our, our coworker, but we don't really – sit down and and ask why about it. And I mean really ask why and come at it repeatedly with, you know, five whys or whatever, you know, um, until you sort of get to some kind of an insight that maybe was out there all along, but you didn't take the time to to think about it. You didn't take the time to dig it out until you really started to, you know, ask some deep questions. And again, you know, with the same, again, with a personal scenario or a life scenario, it's the same thing. I mean, you, you want to start by understanding sort of the causes of the problem, the, uh, the things that are influencing the problem, 
the nature of the problem. And then you want to move to possible solutions, you know, so that's when you, you would move from why to what if, you know, okay, I understand that I'm having problems with my coworker because I'm doing X and he's doing Y and we keep butting our heads over this thing or that thing. So what if, you know, we could create a working scenario where we take into account that problem and we come at it a different way or we uh, we change the nature of our working relationship to address that problem. What if we did X? What if we did Y? And then, you know, when you come up with a what if question that seems to make a lot of sense or have some possibilities, then your challenge is to, okay, how am I going to actually make this work? What do I have to do? I mean, do I start by talking to my colleague? What do I have to lay out a plan? Uh, is this going to be practical? Are we going to be able to change our working relationship? Is it going to make sense? How do we do it? How do we make this idea real? So I think it it does, you know, carry over to all kinds of um, uh, problem solving. It's really about the nature of human creative uh, problem solving. Um, it, and, and I, you know, this is not something that I necessarily invented because if you look at um, various models of creative problem solving that have been developed through the years, whether it's design thinking in the design world or, um, you know, there are models of creative problem solving that have been developed uh, uh, over the past century in various sectors or fields. A lot of times they cycle through a similar type of um, process that has to do with understanding and then um, imagining and then taking action or building. So really that's what, that's what this uh, questioning cycle is all about. So I'm, I'm looking back at, at some of my notes on what you said, and you were talking about the innovators and how they ask questions differently. Right. And you mentioned a bunch of different components to asking questions. You said the methods, the kinds of questions they ask, the order they ask it, how they formulate it, how they work on it. I'd love to kind of dig deep into each of these um, with a broader question on it, which is how do you develop the skill of asking good questions? You know, is it really mastering this loop of why, what if, how? Is it having some really amazing questions in your back pocket? Um, how do you think about, I guess that's probably the best place to start. Yeah. How do you, how do you think about uh, one's ability to become better at asking questions and how do you accelerate your ability? Well, the first thing to say is that, um, you know, even though that, that why, what, if, how framework is, is useful and I recommend people, you know, sort of keep it in their back pocket. Um, the truth is there, there is no formula for asking questions. So you could ask amazing questions without following that sequence. You know, um, it, it's a really wide open creative process of asking questions. And, um, and the other interesting thing to know about questioning is that, you know, some of the best questioners are young children. So uh, I, 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 my research, <laughs> I found out that the, the ultimate questioning machine is a four-year-old girl. And um, so, I mean, one of the things this tells us is that it's not really about expertise, right? It's not about gathering the expertise to become a better questioner. A big part of it is more about having the freedom to do it and allowing yourself to do it. 
and tapping into that that instinct that is already there, that curiosity and that um, that imagine creative imagination that is already there in all of us. And kids in particular are good at tapping into it. But all of us can can be better at, at tapping into it. And so I think, you know, you have to kind of start with that idea that it's not this formulaic thing where you have to learn, you know, 18 different steps or you have to you have to master all the different um, all the taxonomy of questions and all the types of questions. It's not really about that. Um, it kind of starts with the way you look at the world and allowing yourself to be more curious, um, allowing yourself to take the time to step back and question things that normally you wouldn't question. You know, most of us go through our lives, we go through our jobs, we, we go through, we, we approach our industries, our customers, whatever it is, and we do it uh, with a lot of assumptions and we do it with, uh, in a habitual way where we're often doing things because that's the way we've done them. So one of the most important things to, to do to be a better questioner is to force yourself to occasionally, at least occasionally, step back from your assumptions, your habits, your routines, and try to get yourself to look at things with a wide open, you know, four-year-old child, you know, beginner's mind. And, you know, we all have the capability of doing that, but we just don't usually try. I mean, we, it takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of time. It requires slowing down. Um, and uh, so most of us don't do it. But I think that, to me, that is the most important first step of being a questioner is just, um, you know, getting yourself to, to make the effort to, to question things that you would normally uh, not question. Just by doing that, you'd be amazed <laughs> at the possibilities that are likely to open up. The things you'll see, the things you'll notice that you, you didn't notice before. You know, I wrote a piece for um, the Harvard Business Review that was about um, the innovations that are right under our noses, you know, and it's amazing. I mean, you know, you can, I can take you through so many stories of, you know, Airbnb or, or Nest or all these tech, um, these tech creations where somebody was looking at something very obvious. It was a thing that, it was a problem that was like staring them in the face. And it wasn't until they really slowed down and started to ask questions about, you know, gee, you know, why, you know, why, why does this problem exist? Or, um, you know, in the case of Nest, you know, why yeah, isn't some... I'd, I'd love to hear some of those stories. Yeah, well, in the case of Nest, it was just, you know, Tony Fidel, you know, the founder of Nest, just just looking at this household object that is right there in our in our faces every day, the thermostat, and just asking, you know, why hasn't someone changed this thing? You know, it's 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 in the same format it's been in for a long, long time. And we have these we have these smartphones and we have all this technology which uh, Tony Fidel had worked on at Apple. And, um, you know, why hasn't someone created a smart thermostat? You know, so it was just a matter of him. And that was his beautiful question. I mean, so it was just a matter of, he didn't have to go through an expert questioning process to get to that question. He just had to be observant and open 
to what was going on right in front of them and the problem that was right there waiting to be solved. So, um, and it's so, it's true with the, you know, uh, the square credit card reader, you know, same thing. I mean, that started with a question that um, Jack Dorsey, uh, the founder of Square asked, he had a friend who was an artist, right? And the artist had tried to sell a piece of his work. It was a big sale. It was important. There was a lot of money involved. At the last minute, the buyers pulled out because they wanted to buy it with a credit card. And the artist, being an artist, you know, not part of a company, he said, oh, I can't take a credit card, you know. And he ended up losing the sale. And so Jack Dorsey was left when he heard about this story from his friend, he, you know, he was just found himself asking, you know, why is it that only companies can take credit cards? You know, why can't any entrepreneur or any artist who's trying to sell his work or anybody have a system where they can take a credit card too? And so that launched him on the journey of, of creating a, a much more accessible and simpler uh, credit card reader. So it just goes down the line when you look at all these innovation stories that, that these questions that people were asking um, were, they were sort of right there waiting to be asked, but people weren't doing it because people were making assumptions, you know, people were making assumptions about, well, that's just the way it is. You know, uh, you, only, only a big business can take a credit card. That's just the way it works, you know, or in the case of Polaroid, Hey, that's, that's the way it works. You know, film has to be developed over a period of several days. That's, that's the reality. So I found that the biggest thing that the, the great questioners do is that you know, they're willing to look at problems that other people are ignoring. They're willing to challenge the, um, the, the laws of, of uh, the current laws of the universe, you know, which are telling you, you can do this and you can't do that. They question all of that. You know, they say, why not? You know, why can't we do that? So that to me is the biggest thing. I mean, if you can get yourself to start thinking with that kind of a mindset, uh, a noticing, observing mindset that challenges assumptions and that, uh, you know, considers everything open to, to question and possibility. Uh, if you can sort of foster that kind of a mindset, that's going to be the most important thing in terms of, of helping you to, to be a better questioner. Now, once you've done that, I mean, there are things you can do with the way you word questions. There are, um, as I said, you know, you can, you can, you can ask, you can think about, you know, asking questions in the right order in terms of, you know, starting with why, so you can really understand the problem that, that that's a big thing. Um, you can ask questions. Uh, it's interesting, you know, my research found that um, if you ask questions in a positive way, um, it, it, it makes a huge difference. It, it like, it sort of energizes the people around you and um, it, it, encourages people to help you answer the question. So one of the things I found is that at, at Google and Facebook and some of these other companies, they're really careful about the way they frame questions that they're tackling as a group. And they, they use this phrase, how might we, um, as a preface to a lot of their questions. Um, so, you know, in other words, let's say they have to, they, they have this problem, problem X and they have to solve problem X, you know, instead of asking, you know, what are we going to do about problem X or how are we ever going to deal with this issue of problem X? They'll ask a question like, how might we 
you know, address this issue of, of problem X. And to make it even more po positive, they might ask something like, you know, how might we uh, build on the stuff we're really good at so that we can get better at problem X? So they, they pay a lot of attention to how questions are worded and framed because having a positive, um, a positive sort of uh, attitude attached to the question is really, really important. That will help sustain the people who are, who are working on that question. You know, it's interesting going back to your, your points about innovation. I think when we think of the term innovation, it's usually in a context of being groundbreaking and brilliant, but sometimes the innovation is just simply there and the skill is taking a step back <laughs> yeah. rather than thinking your way into something more productive. And, and it's interesting because I remember I started a, a healthy food restaurant in Michigan. And I remember some of my first conversations with people and with investors about it, really being connected to the why. And then once you get so into the thick of it, you start getting so detail oriented that you can kind of forget to explain the why. Yeah. <laughs> and so common. Yeah, and I think awesome. the same when we are looking at problems, you know, it was funny. Um, there's a story that a friend told me of um, how he met a CEO who was saying that it's really valuable to talk with new graduates every once in a while. Even though, right. you know, he he's, has a multi-million dollar company, has been doing it for 10 years because a new graduate will, will come in and be like, so what are you trying to do? Exactly. It's like, oh, it's, that's um, or like, wait, I don't, what's the product? <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, that you can go years without having those questions asked to you. And you can really get so caught up in our earnings need to be this, our revenues need to grow yeah. by this much. And you can kind of get taken away from the simplicity of it all. Well, this um, is a big issue in the business world right now. And, um, and you know, a lot of companies since my book came out are, have been, you know, calling, inviting me in, and um, and it's they're facing exactly that situation you're talking about. I mean, they've, in some cases, they're leaders in their industries, they're leaders in their field, and they sort of thought they had figured it all out, you know, by now. <laughs> they, they, whatever industry they were in, they kind of thought, you know, we we've risen to the top of our industry, therefore we have figured it out. And what happens when you think you've figured it out? is you stop asking those questions um, that entrepreneurs are so good at asking. You know, you stop doing it because it, why do you need to ask questions anymore? You figured it out and you've got, a, you've got a book of policies and you've got rules and you've got a system and you've got all these things in place. Therefore, no need to question, you know? And what happens is at some point, these companies run up against a lot of problems, particularly when the market is changing quickly when technology is turning things upside down every day. And eventually they find themselves in a situation where the thing they thought they'd figured out doesn't make sense anymore. It's obsolete. And because they stopped asking questions and they got out of that mode, that questioning mode, they now have to try to get back into that framework, that beginner's mind, that, that questioning mind. And it's a little hard to do because they're so out of that mode. They can do it, you know, but it's hard. So I think this is this is a big challenge. It's just that idea that, you know, we get locked into thinking we've figured it out and, and we stop, you know, we stop questioning. And 
if we do question, we're very focused, as you were saying, on, you know, detail-oriented or efficiency-oriented questions, you know. So in other words, a company is, the only question they're asking is, how can we do it faster? Or do this better? How can we do this better instead of asking, wait a minute, why are we doing it that way in the first place? You know, maybe this is not what we should be doing anymore. Maybe this made sense five years ago, but doesn't make sense now. They don't ask those questions. They're, instead, they're locked into, you know, how do we do it faster? How do we do it better? And, you know, they're locked into that efficiency uh, mindset of questioning instead of the wide open kinds of questioning that can really um, make the big changes. How can companies bake good question asking techniques into their culture? How have you seen it done? And what are some exercises or, or techniques that you've seen people deploy? Well, um, the, the first thing that has to happen in companies is that the, the leadership of the company has to express to the people in the company that this is a questioning company and that we are going to ask questions and we're going to welcome questions from everyone. Because if they don't do that, then what people within the company will assume is that no one really wants to hear my questions, you know, because all that is, is that's seen as an annoyance. Um, it's inefficient or maybe it's challenging the authority of my supervisor or whatever. They don't want to hear it. So it's really important for the leadership of the company to, to tell people, we do want to hear your question. We want you asking questions about everything, about everything we do. We want you thinking about our processes, our customers, all the things we're assuming and we want you questioning that, you know, and, and, and that's really valuable. So that's the first thing that, you know, companies have to do is they have to give that permission and maybe even incentivize it if they can, you know, if they can think of ways to re reward good questions. You know, we never, we never re reward questioning. It just doesn't get rewarded. I mean, that goes back to school. You know, in school, you get rewarded for the answer. You don't get rewarded for the question. So... I think companies have to think about how they can encourage it, how they can incentivize it. As far as exercises, um, you get better at questioning by asking more questions. And um, there are exercises, there's an exercise I've done with some businesses where we put a problem up there and we do, in effect, a brainstorming session, except it's all about formulating questions. It's not about coming up with ideas or answers or opinions. All you do during this session is try to generate as many questions as you can about a particular subject or problem. Um, that is an exercise that gets your brain going on question formulation. You start to get better at it almost immediately. Because like I said, this is all within us, this ability to question. I mean, we had it when we were kids, you know. So um, it's really just about using it, exercising that muscle that maybe has been kind of dormant for a while. And uh, so, so companies can do things like that too. And the other thing companies can do is just tell people or show people, if you can, the kinds of questions that we're really looking for, you know? I mean, we're really looking for those questions that say, you know, what is it our customer really wants? Or, you know, why aren't we doing a better job in this area? Let people understand the kinds of questions you're looking for and that maybe you're not as interested in, you know, the kind of questions that are like, why can't I have more vacation time, you know, or whatever, you know, those kind of small questions, you know, that maybe are a little more um, self-oriented or whatever. 
um, you have to let people know the kinds of questions, the kind of big, ambitious, positive mission questions that you really are, are interested in, in seeing them think about. I could imagine breaking it up into um, questions that the company should be asking, questions that you yourself should be asking about your own work, questions yeah. about team dynamics, questions about teamwork, yep. and kind of revisiting those. That's I'm, a great I'm, idea. I hadn't actually thought of that, but that's, you know, that, that might be a good uh, way for companies to approach it because there are so many different types of questions that people might ask that when you do this, when, if, if you go to this kind of a approach in a company, what I, I refer to it as a culture of inquiry, if you try to, if you do try to create a culture of inquiry in your company, um, in a way, you are opening the floodgates. You know, I mean, there's yeah. no doubt about it. You know, p- questions are going to come from all angles. Some of them are going to be, you know, weird questions. Some of them are going to be maybe non-productive questions, whatever. So you have to. It might make sense to develop, you know, um, categories and anything you can do to sort of try to control those those questions a little bit. Yeah, and I mean. <laughs> I think you get like so meta with it where you're like, what questions should we at- be asking about what questions we should ask? Right. And, and like, you can kind of, you can kind of get lost in it, you know, where, yeah, you can. where well, can- listen, that's one of the things about questions, <laughs> you know, I mean, and it's one of the reasons why companies and businesses are a little bit of afraid of it because they are afraid of that, that endless spiral, you know, I mean, there's a the comedian Louis CK has a funny bit where his, his daughter is asking him why, you know, and it just, it doesn't end and it just spirals down until he's like questioning the, the meaning of the universe and he's just lost in this endless spiral of, of, of answering why questions. And I think, um, you know, in a way, that's probably something companies are a little bit concerned about. Like, gee, if we start asking these questions, will it just, will we just be paralyzed by it, by our own questions? And I don't think it's, I don't think it's true. I think that actually questions are really, they, they usually don't do that. And especially if you are conscious of trying to be productive with your questions and trying to move forward, if you, if you take that kind of conscious, proactive approach, they actually help you to move forward. They don't hold you back. But it's, it's a great um, misperception that questions hold you back. They, they, they're going to make you uncertain. They're going to take away your confidence. And uh, I don't think it's true at all. So here's an example of something that might kind of take it from a different angle <laughs> in terms of, I could, I could honestly imagine myself going psychotic, asking like five whys 50 times for everything right. and being overwhelmed. He, here's an example that, that might kind of at least give me some inner peace. I have a friend who's a venture capitalist who is telling me about one of his peers, peer investors, who almost found the best question to ask other investors. And that question is, what do you wish you had invested in over the past six months that you didn't? Mm -hmm. Because that sort of keyed into a sort of internal knowledge as to what the investors think is valuable that they did not go for. And then what he ended up doing is actually investing in those companies <laughs> that the other people didn't. And it was almost, you know, statistically, of course, there's a no perfect model, but it's almost a, a heuristic way to get to 
the sort of best practices in the field and and the knowledge of multiple people in the best way. So I, I wonder if, you know, instead of getting lost in these meetings where you're asking questions on questions and questions, maybe there's a best practice like this. Maybe there's a best practice for you asking your own questions about yourself in your work and how you can produce. Maybe there's a best practice on like your relationship with everything, <laughs> with yeah. the company well, culture. It, it, you know, there are, there are questions that people will come back to as their uh, tried and true question that helps them, you know, uh, again and again when they're facing uh, uh, tough decisions. And, and, and I think those are great. I mean, if you can come up with a few of those, like that one you just mentioned, another one was um, oh, that I had in my book was, uh, um, and this comes from Intel, when, it, when Intel was, was faced with a difficult choice, the manager, the, the two guys running it said, they asked the question, um, if we left the company tomorrow, and new leaders came in, what would they do about this problem? And I thought that was a fantastic question because what, what that question does is it, it removes all the baggage, the emotional baggage or the, you know, all the, all the stuff that, that influences your decisions sometimes because you've been doing something for a long time. You've been there in the company. You've been, you know, you're attached to this product and, now you have to make a decision about the product and you, you have all this emotional attachment, you know? And so they, they realized that, you know, a new person coming in wouldn't have any of that baggage and would be much, would approach the, uh, the, the problem in a much different way. So a really great question, right? And, and I, I put that in the book as the kind of question you can use over and over, you know, when you're dealing with a difficult decision, Try that question out, you know. And then there's another favorite question in Silicon Valley, which uh, has been this question's been bouncing around for decades. But it's the question of um, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? You know, if failure was not even a possibility, then what would you try to do? So that's a great question to ask in terms of getting. You want to get rid of those constraints that are holding you back and the fear of failure and all that. You, you ask yourself that question and it will reveal to you the most ambitious thing that you might want to try. You, maybe you can't do it today or tomorrow or whatever, but that question will help you, you know, identify what that thing is that you really would like to do. So I, I do think that there are questions like that, that you can, um, that you can come back to again and again, and, and, and they can be sort of your, your tried and true questions. Do you want to try to come up with some best practice questions for a couple topics I have written down. Okay. So this might be challenging. Um, introspection or understanding yourself and what you want to do. I guess you kind of said that, but um, maybe that's too broad. Introspection and... Um, Self-understanding. Self-understanding. You know, there's a great question. I don't know if this is the, the go-to one for, for, for that area, but it's, it's one that I think people should keep handy. And it's the question, what if I'm wrong? Because a lot of times in our lives and in our work and in whatever we're doing, we are operating with a, a sense of false certainty about things that uh, every now and then, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what if this 
thing I'm assuming. It could be it could be your political views. It could be a lot of things, you know. But but it, every now and then we need to step back and ask ourselves, you know, what if the way I'm thinking about this problem isn't actually the right way to think about it, you know? So to me, that's a question we all need to ask ourselves, um, you know, on a fairly regular basis. You know, I just thought of one. This may be jumping off topic, but um, you, when you mentioned venture capitalists, there was a venture capitalist I met with uh, recently at an event, and he told me a question that he always asks himself when he's trying to evaluate someone that he's he might invest in. You know what the question is he asks? What was he it? says, he tries to determine, is this a person who would rather succeed or would rather be right? He told me that's the most valuable question he um, he's come up with because if he can, he finds that the people he wants to invest in are people who want to succeed and the people he doesn't want to do business with are people who are very concerned about being right. In other words, they they have this idea about how something should be done, a product or a business or whatever. They're very determined to that, that they are right about it and that their vision is going to be the one that comes through. And he told me that oftentimes those people fail because they're not they're not willing to adapt or adjust. They, they want to be right. That that's their concern. They want to be proven right. The other person who cares about success will adapt and adjust and will do whatever's necessary to succeed. Fascinating. Speaking, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Speaking of adapting and adjusting, what could be a best practice question for someone who feels stuck and like they can't change themselves? This could be, you know, maybe they're in a conflict with someone and, and it seems to persist or they have a habit that they've been trying to change for years and they can't. What could be a best practice question around that? Uh, this is a really good question for any type of change situation. Uh, the question is, it's maybe a two-part question. Um, question is, what if I made one small change? And then the second part of that is, you know, what would that small change be? Um, a lot of times when we're dealing with problems, big problems, they're overwhelming. Uh, it could be, you know, the problem in our career, in our lives or whatever it is it's a big problem, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could be done. There's a lot of um, ways to come at the problem. And because of that, people get paralyzed and they don't do anything. They don't know how to, they don't know how to, where to begin or what to, what to do. So it really can be helpful to force yourself to identify a small thing that you could do differently starting tomorrow. And, um, and even that's not easy. But if you can identify that one small thing, uh, it can be the key to making a bigger change. One of the things it does is it gives you a little momentum and it shows you that you can make changes. Even if it's a small change, you can do it. You can actually make a change. And that then gives you some confidence to, uh, to make other changes. Yeah. What would you say could be a best practice question for peering into someone's soul <laughs> and getting getting to know them quickly. I, I have a couple in mind. Oh, one, okay. I don't have one off the top of my head, so what, what's, what's yours? <laughs> so um, this is a question that a friend, friend asks, which is, what's something that would take me six months to learn about you um, that you could explain to me right now? 
Oh, that's fascinating. And so that that's kind of um, yeah. having the person internally identify what's unique about them that is yeah. more, kind of difficult to identify. Um, I like that. That's good. Yeah, interpersonal questions are great. You know, I mean, that, that and, and I think, um, you know, one of the things to understand about questioning is it's one of the best ways to build uh, rapport with people, um, get to know people, and, uh, and, and just to show that you empathize and that you care. And, and so a lot of times, you know, question, asking questions can be key to relationships, and, and, you know, including people that you've, you know, you've been married to or around for a, a long time. And, you know, being able and willing to ask questions is, is really important. Are there any relationship questions you really like? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a uh, there was a good one that I read from uh, Clayton Christensen. Um, and and he said uh, Clayton Christensen, the, the business author and the Harvard business professor, great great guy. Um, but he wrote about and it wasn't a business yeah it wasn't a business question it was about um, he was saying that you know you should your spouse or partner you should you should always regularly ask them, um, you know, how can I help you? And it sounds kind of, you know, like a unusual question that you would ask a spouse or a partner, but he said, it's really important. Um, he felt that oftentimes, you know, the, 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 the person where we have a relationship with, um, they might need some help from us and not know how to ask for it. So, um, being willing, being able to ask that question, it's almost for them, can can be really, really valuable. That's awesome. I, I love that question. Yeah. Um, another another kind of question that kind of comes to mind for me, uh, a way to cut through small talk is, you know, the typical question is, "How are you doing?" And everyone says, "Good." But yeah. I've found that if you can phrase it in a way that's new, you'll get you'll kind of rock people off their, <laughs> their kind of autopilot. Oh, I'm good. Everything's good. And answer it differently. So I like to say like, how's your soul or ah. what, what's on your mind? Interesting. And that kind of penetrates through the small talk into something a bit deeper. One of the people I interviewed for the book says when he meets new people, he asks them, what are you about? <laughs> I like that. That's fascinating. <laughs> And he said, you know, it really kind of, it really kind of rocks them back for a minute. But then, you know, uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll sort of, um, they'll sort of realize and they'll, they'll think about it and they'll say, well, you know, this is what I'm really about. This is what I'm into. This is my thing. And he said, it's, he found it was a great way to get to know people. And it was a great way to, it also just sort of forced the people themselves to sort of ask themselves that question. And it has an interesting kind of, uh, uh, result when they ask themselves that question. Um, another, this is more of a self question. Uh, I picked this one up from the writer, Daniel Pink. Uh, and he said that he thinks people should ask themselves, uh, what is my sentence? So if I had to say who I am in a sentence, if I had to say what I'm about in a sentence, um, what would it be? And, uh, I thought that's, that's a pretty good exercise too. I think what questions like these do is they kind of bring you back to beginner's mind in that four-year-old sort of 
mindset because everything's new (laughs) and you have to think fresh because you've never given the answer before and you've never considered the question. So it's almost takes you out of your, your, your everyday. Yeah. The autopilot. Yeah. It takes you, it takes you off autopilot, which is always the goal to get off autopilot. Now you can't now, what I often say to people is, you know, there's nothing wrong with autopilot. You know, we need autopilot because the fact is in our lives, we, you know, we got to do a lot of stuff and sometimes we have to multitask and we have to get through the daily grind and autopilot is really important for allowing us, enabling us to do that. But every now and then you have to try to make a conscious effort to get off autopilot. And that's when you may be able to get some great insights and great, see things you don't normally see. So in the spirit of getting off autopilot, do you want to ask each other some questions to kind of throw each other off? (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'll say, you know, feel free to go hard on me and make sure that feel free to get me out of my comfort zone. Um, Okay. Because I I think that these kind of questions can be really transformative. Um, Yeah, sure, sure. um, Do you have a question or? Okay, uh, let's see. I'm kind of, I got butterflies. What do you most fear? I'd say I most fear... Uh, falling into a depression. I had a really tough stint right in after school, after college when I was in DC because I didn't have any community. Like my communities were different. My work situation was different. Like my entire life was flipped upside down. And I kind of slid into a pretty bad place and wasn't able to fall asleep. And it was just kind of debilitating in a sense. And so I think... What I fear most is falling into a depression again. Okay, now can I ask you another question following up off that? Yes. If that happened, would you be able to deal with it? Yes, I think with some help. Okay. Um, The yes, I think the worst case scenario of the yes would be I'd have to quit work and work is such like a joy for me and and so powerful um i'd have to quit work and i might need to just kind of stop everything else and pick up the pieces of me but you would pick up the pieces you're pretty confident in that right i think so yeah i I think i'd I'd be smart enough to to be like i have to take a leave of absence from work and then um, give myself space to let it go through me when I was in the book, I interviewed a, a guy named Jonathan Fields, a very, very smart guy, a writer, entrepreneur. And um, he, he likes, he thinks people should ask themselves, particularly when they're about to take on something risky, um, what if it fails and what would I do? How would I recover from the failure? And he said that's really important because um, we tend to build failure up in our minds or bad scenarios in our minds to be even worse than they probably would be. And it helps if you envision the bad scenario and particularly helps if you envision what you would do to Mm. solve the problem and to get out of the problem. 
And uh, I think that's great. That's, so that's another great question to, to keep in your back pocket. That's amazing. I actually yeah. feel more comfortable <laughs> right now yeah. having thought that's, through it. Right. It's good. It's a, it's a good, I think it's a good practice because it's sort of, you know, the, the unknown is always scarier than something that you, if you think about something and you, you kind of think it through in your mind, sometimes it becomes less scary. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Sure. What's your biggest insecurity around your work as a thought leader in asking questions? Um, biggest insecurity is probably that, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, that would be the biggest insecurity that, that, you know, that, that I may be, um, you know, saying things to people that are not right or that, that don't fit their situation or, you know, that, that, that could be giving them somehow giving them, you know, bad advice or something like that. And, and I'd, I'd hate to think that I was, was ever doing that, you know, but you don't really know. I mean, it, you could be, it's possible, you know, and I mean, I think, I think that what I'm saying is pretty sound and is pretty, is pretty, uh, you know, positive, but, but it's always dangerous when you get into the business of, you know, of, of giving any kind of advice to, to people because, you know, who knows, you could be, um, you could be giving them advice. That's not, that's not right for their situation. Can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah, sure. How do, how does that thought affect the way you work? I think it causes me to, to try to, um, do more research to justify, uh, what I'm saying or, or to, to, uh, validate, that's the word I want to validate what I'm saying. And, um, and so that it can be, you know, as airtight as possible. Um, and I think that's good, actually. That's not, that's not a bad thing. I mean, it, because the more you, the more you learn about something, the better. So I think it, it has the, that insecurity has the result of making me try to get more, uh, research, behind what I'm saying or, or try to just find more, um, more ways to validate that as, as true. Awesome. Do you want to ask a question? And I'd say, I give you permission if you'd like to ask questions that you think will make me feel the most vulnerable. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's see. Um, I've already talked about my depression, so I, I, who knows? Yeah, yeah, no, right. I don't know if you can top that. Well, uh, how about this? I mean, I, I'm going to ask you that question I, I mentioned uh, earlier because um, I think it's such an interesting question. And uh, the, the question of what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? I, huh. I would uh, start an organization with a friend who um, I am in talks with who wants to build a sort of uh, learning fraternity. Uh, that's not the right word, but uh, kind of after school learning programs that happen kind of like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, but really intensely um, learning and personal development based mm. in, in in ways that help with uh, job preparation and, and getting you into schools. Um, and 
I think that a lot of the ways I want to teach and a lot of the ways that I want to help students take on the world, be able to face ambiguity, innovate, and be creative can be taught in that. And I think that there's a lot of potential um, to have that kind of take over the, the current system of K through 12 education right. or create a new system that, that replaces it 50 years down the line. Um, and I think it's like so audaciously huge right. that um, I'm kind of building up <laughs> my understanding of it. This is all pretty recent, but um, yeah. the the friend is um, a lot older, has kids, is in a good place. Right. Um, but that that's that's what I'd say. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's that's fascinating. Well. Had you thought about that before, that question, or is that something that you kind of came to you as you were, as you were, you know, thinking about the question? I, I thought about that idea. Mm. Um, I think, I don't think I had said it, talked about it publicly, except with, right, with right. the friend. Um, mm. And it feels good. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. like very powerful. Right, right, right. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the things, great things questioning can do. It's just like, it just like crystallizes things or uh, forces you to, to think about things uh, in a, in a different way. Mm. Yeah. Fun fact, by the way, uh, I uh, did some research on, uh, on resolutions and versus questions, and um, I, I found a couple of studies on this, and uh, uh, the studies indicate that you're more likely to do something if you ask ask yourself as a question, as opposed to um, creating a resolution or a statement. So, in other words, if you let's say you want to uh, drink more water, if you if you put that out there as a statement to yourself or a resolution, I must drink more water. It's probably going to be less effective than if you ask yourself, how could I get myself to drink more water? How might I drink more water? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Questions are more empowering. Um, they, they, the reason why is that when you ask yourself that question, your mind will start to go to work on practical uh, solutions um, whereas your mind may not do that with a statement. Yeah. Um, awesome. Warren, how, how are you? Do I'm, I'm loving this conversation, but I want to be respectful of your time. Do you have, um, more time? I probably should, should wrap things up because I've got a couple of things I have to do, uh, okay. fairly soon. So, but yeah, it's been a fantastic conversation. Very, very interesting. Yeah. I would say, and, and we can talk about this when we finish up. I act, I think there's a lot of potential if you're interested to maybe have one of our students create a questioning app for you because that's one of the projects. In oh yeah, I'd love it. So um, we can that talk. Would, we can talk about that afterwards. That would um, be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to have. I'd love to have a questioning app. You know, and um, I think uh, it's something I have thought about, but I didn't know where to begin. <laughs> cool. So yeah, let, let's let's wrap this up and then we can. Uh, because <laughs> if we start talking about that, it, it, I'm right, sure it's right. going to be a long conversation. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, maybe just like five five more minutes or something. Um, so I'll, I'll ask about uh, 
resources. Um, um, what, what, uh, so resources, maybe one more, one more question I was going to ask is like, yeah. what's, what's the worst lie you've ever told? Is that, is that going too far? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, or you could ask me if you want. Okay. I'll ask you. I don't have an answer. <laughs> okay. Um, what is it? What's the worst do, do, lie? Uh, do you want to ask the question fresh so that I can edit it together okay. nicely? Okay. So the question I'm going to ask you is, what is the worst lie you've ever told? Are you really asking that? I'm really asking. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, you're you're having me dig through the the bag of uh, shit. <laughs> yeah, this is like um, truth or dare here. Yeah, this is like truth or dare. <laughs> um. Well, I I'd say. I'll answer it twice. The first is almost the inverse of that question, which is what's what's the biggest truth you didn't tell? Mm. Um, and there's been about three people, three women who I really, really, really liked um, and didn't have the courage to tell them. Okay. Um, until it was too late. And then now we're just not in a relationship. And, and I think it's just like, really kind of crazy and sad that I had nothing but a positive feeling for them, but I, I didn't share it. And right. you know, it, it could have so much good kid. It came from that. Um, I've, and I think the biggest lie I ever told, um, was I think to myself, telling myself that I was okay and I didn't need help while I was going through depression mm -hmm. um, or while it was building up and kind of, I guess a little bit of arrogance I had um, to just not get help, <laughs> even right. though I really needed it. Um, and I think also, you know, I also told myself that I was happy in a relationship that lasted really, really long. Um, I think those are probably the biggest ones. Um, you know, while you were, while you were talking about that with the uh, women, I thought of the, one of the, the longest lie I ever told when I was in college. Um, and I had, uh, gotten sort of interested in a, in a girl who was older than me. And somehow she got the impression that I was the same age as her, even though I was, um, like two years younger. And I allowed that lie to go on for, for months and months. Uh, and eventually it got sort of, you know, came out and I was very embarrassed. But it was, it was interesting how I, you know, I didn't do it sort of actively, but I sort of passively allowed <laughs> this understanding to continue for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But um, so yeah. I, I guess we're coming up uh, to a close. Mm. Um, a question I'd ask is, is what's the best way to close out this this interview? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm giving you the work. I'm, I'm outsourcing it to you. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, you know, it's always good to to talk about next steps, you know, with with uh, when you're ending a conversation or a meeting or an interview and um 
I think uh, for as far as next steps, you know, like if someone is interested in learning more about questioning, um, there's a couple of resources I would refer you to. Obviously, my book, of course, my self-interested uh, uh, pitch for my book. But um, also, it's good though. Uh, it's good though. Yeah, it's <laughs> I can vouch for it. Also, there's a website that's that's free. You know, that, that goes with the book, and um, and the website is really. Uh, interesting and has a lot of resources where you can find out articles, find posts, articles about questioning, some tips on becoming a better questioner and that kind of thing. So if you are interested in, you know, um, sort of uh, activating your questioning uh, 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 tendencies and muscles, um, you know, check out that website and and there may be some stuff on there. There's even an inquiry quiz you can take that'll um, sort of tell you what kind of a questioner you are. So, um, so I would say check that out. And another thing I would, I would recommend is uh, this great nonprofit group um, called the Right Question Institute. And their website is rightquestion.org. And um, they're really great. I've been working with them a lot. And they're trying to bring questioning into schools and uh, particularly low-income schools. Um, they think it's really important, you know, that to, to, to sort of, let kids in those environments understand that that they have great questions that, that should be heard and, and they should be, be, you know, feel freer to ask questions and to formulate their own questions. So I think they're a great organization and I, 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 um, you can learn a lot just about questioning yourself just by checking out their site and their resources. But they're also a group, you know, you may want to support their work because they're, they're sort of creating the questioners for tomorrow. That's terrific. And real quick, are, are there three people who you most respect in terms of their question asking ability? Um, well, I would say, you know, uh, Steve Jobs was, it was a, was a great questioner. Um, he was, he was brutal in terms of the way he questioned the people who worked for him. He probably could have been a little gentler, but he, um, he was famous for questioning everything that the company did and every aspect of what they did. So, so he's kind of a, a uh, uh, a favorite questioner, and then Edwin Land, uh, the um, the founder of Polaroid, who I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, he he was a he was a great questioner, and it was kind of the forerunner to our tech world of today in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, other questioners, well, I you know uh, Picasso, you know Picasso was uh, was uh, was someone who said uh, you know that he uh, he said he had no use for computers because computers only give you answers. And, uh, I like that. I like that attitude. So, uh, but there's lots of them really. Any last words of wisdom before we, we close this up? Uh, just to say, you know, questioning is, is, uh, you know, your audience is interested in apps, you know, um, questioning is, is an app that we were all born with, you know, and, and I think, um, we don't use it as much as we might. So, um, I think, you know, think of it, think of this as a tool that you were blessed with and, uh, your ability to be curious and ask questions and, and think of it as something that is this amazing resource that you, you really don't want to waste. You want to use it as much as you can throughout your life. Great. Well, thank you so much, Warren. I, I was trying to think of a creative question, to ask, um, or I guess maybe this is it. 
how can you use questions well today? <laughs> now I sound like an ad, <laughs> but uh, I guess that's a good place to close. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yep. Cool. Well, thanks for it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I, I, I hope it was interesting you know, to your audience, and I definitely enjoyed the conversation, and it was uh, maybe we can do it again sometime. Definitely. Thanks. Sounds good. Okay, bye-bye. Awesome.